Good morning. Can you hear me? There you go. Excellent. All right. Well, um, last week, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It was, I don't know if you've noticed, but what I've done, you know, a lot of these, these classes is since obviously people don't necessarily show up on time, um, you know, I try to do kind of a one-off little, little topic um, to spend the first few minutes. That way, uh, when we get into the actual topic of what we're, we're teaching that day, that people don't, don't miss anything. You know, like Stephen, you know, if we were already teaching, Stephen wouldn't have any idea what, what was going on, right? So, um, so what I try to do generally is, you know, spend five, ten minutes on something that's profitable, but a short little thing that's more or less irrelevant to what it is that we're going to be studying that day. Well, that's what we did last week, and it ended up being the, the whole class. Um, but I thought it was profitable. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Some good conversations came out of it. So, so today we're doing what we were supposed to do last week, and it's the law. And I actually had a little topic that I wanted to throw in beforehand, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want to wait until next week to teach, you know, start teaching the law, so I actually want to do this. So, um, so we're going to go ahead and ju- just jump straight into to the, the topic today. So as you can see, it's the law, but it's, it's special topics. And, and by the way, that's kind of the way that I've been teaching the, this whole class. I, the way I figure is, if y'all wanted a by-the-numbers systematic treatment of these theological topics the way they're normally taught, you probably have either, one, already sat through that kind of class, or two, you've read Grudem or, or some theology book, or you know, listening to something online or something. So what I am, am trying to do here is kind of come at things from a little bit different angle. I want everything, you know, the, the, the main idea is that God is glorified in whatever it is that we're teaching here. But I'm trying to, to throw a little bit of curveball in there to, 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 to get folks kind of, get, get everybody kind of thinking in a little bit slightly different way, you know. Um, I heard somebody say something about, you know, putting a pebble in somebody's shoe. You know, like when you share the gospel with somebody, um, you know, you might talk to them for five or ten minutes and never see them again in your whole life, but if you give them something to think about, if you put a little pebble in their shoe, um, then the next time they're talking about, you know, they, they may actually go out and, and seek out uh, more um, truth as it relates to, to, to Christ, okay? And so in, in this class, one of the things that I'm trying to do is just put a little pebble in, in the, the shoes of the saints, right? Uh, to to kind of get you asking questions and thinking things that maybe uh, coming at things from a different angle than than maybe you've ever done before, and then the cool part is is as you guys are um, uh, well one of the cool parts is as you guys are asking questions and answering questions and things like that you're giving me angles that I've never thought of before, and you know I I think of Christianity you know I've, I've used the the analogy before. It's kind of like a, a diamond, you know, and a diamond, yeah, you can look at it and it's beautiful, but if you turn the diamond, it's glistening and it's beautiful from every, every direction, and you get a slightly different facet from each direction. It's the same truth. It's the same, you know, we're talking about the same Christ, the same majestic God, but if we look at, look at God and think about God from different angles, then it gives us a, a better 
fuller picture of them, I think. And so um, I'm clearly not capable of, of um, uh, teaching that um, to an advanced degree, but I can kind of, like I said, put that pebble in folks' shoes and get you, you know, thinking maybe in a little bit different ways. Does that make sense? Cool. Because, hey, we're all in this together, and um, as, as you learn, I learn, um, and as you grow, I grow, and, and vice versa, all right? So let's pray, then we'll, we'll get started. And I hope you all are ready to talk today, all right? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for today. Thank you for um, uh, this congregation coming together and um, studying you, uh, studying about you. Um, Father, I, I ask that you um, help us each to, to not just take this as an academic topic, but as a, um, something that is truly personal knowledge of you, getting to know you better and understanding you, you better, and all for the purpose of, of glorifying you. Father, we love you, we trust you, forgive us where we fail you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right, so we're going to talk about the law, and then once we get through this, then we'll, we'll go into everybody's favorite topic, sin. All right. So we're going to talk about laws in general. So when I say law here, don't take it to be the Torah. Don't take it to be the Mosaic law. We're just talking laws, rules, statutes, regulations, instructions, that sort of thing. It's a very, um, very open, unrestrictive sort of, sort of thing. All right. So, do you think laws, in a general sense, as restri restricting, bleh, restricting, enabling, or both? They're typically restricting? Okay. Okay. Okay, how do you think, typically think of them? Right. Okay. Sorry, let me repeat real quick because I forgot to walk up on you. Um, so the, you said the Constitution is restricting of government uh, enabled. Okay, okay, good. Okay, cool. But on that, the same line, like the, the Constitution enables the gives the right to bear yeah. arms. Right. Okay. So it it, it goes both. Yeah. There's, there's okay. both. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Anybody else? Okay. Let's talk about games for a second. If you watch uh, a group of kids playing, let's say they're just uh, I don't know in a room or a yard or whatever, and there's no apparatus, um, there's no swing sets or slides or anything like that. And you, you know, you throw a ball, you know, a ball or a, I don't know, some, some toy um, out into them. They might kick it around. They might run around um, like, you know, like children do. But very, very quickly, one of the things you'll notice is they start creating a game. Playing, just playing and running around is not a game. Um, games have rules. And so what the kids will do, you know, I've, I've done it a thousand times myself. It's like, okay, that pole over there is, you know, first base. And, you know, if you kick it, you know, uh, off of that clock, then you get extra points. And, you know, you're constantly throwing these other things, you know, these, these things out there. I remember uh, when I was in the Army, uh, hacky sack was, was a thing. And so we were playing hacky sack, a bunch of soldiers out there playing hacky sack. And, of course, 
we're kids too, right? So we had to put um, rules around playing hacky sack. So if you messed up, it was your fault that the, the hacky sack uh, hit, the, hit the ground, then the first person to, to grab the hacky sack had the right to where you had to stand there with your chest out and they just could throw it as hard as they wanted to right at, right at your chest. And then if they, they missed, then um, everybody, the first person to get that, um, get the hacky sack, got to, got to do it to that person. And so, yeah, it, it was not smart, but we weren't smart. Um, <laughs> wasn't very smart, but, uh, you know, we had rules around the games and it was typically you know, very physical and guys wrestling over the hacky sack and, and all of that stuff. Kids will be kids, right? But it was a game. Even something like that, we put rules around it, okay? So more advanced, if you think of something like tennis or football or whatever, you know, if uh, people are, like in tennis, if you can just hit the ball wherever you want, whenever you want, you know, you don't have a game. You're not going to have millions of people watching it. Okay. So what happens is rules actually make a game a game. They make a, a game, they make an activity worth watching. Okay. Music is the same way. What if the folks up here didn't pay attention to their sheet music? You can think of that sheet music as a set of rules. You know, what if uh, what if Sharon all of a sudden went off on some Jerry Lee Lewis sort of great balls of fire thing playing with her elbows, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you got, you know, Rob up here doing, you know, some, I don't know, Seinfeld bass lick or something, you know? Um, and they're all just kind of doing their own thing. That's not orderly, okay? Music is orderly, okay? Traffic, traffic rules, traffic laws. We don't think of traffic laws as being enabling, do we? Well, who's worked downtown or Galleria area, kind of that sort of thing, right? Keep all the highways, all the roads in place, and then take away all the traffic signs, all the do not enters, all the one ways, and all of that. And how long do you think your commute would become? You know, would it even be functional? You'd have to have a four-wheel drive to get home is what you'd have to have, right? So if you think about... You can think about rules as restrictive or laws as restrictive, but you can also think of laws as being enabling. Now, I'm not trying to be like, you know, World War II Germany, where, you know, in Auschwitz, they had a, a sign that said, you know, work is freedom, um, that sort of thing. No, we're not talking about that. that. That was ludicrous. What we're talking about is something where a law is not it's not oppressing. These rules aren't oppressing. They are enabling. They're actually allowing things to function as they're supposed to function. Okay? So by bringing order, laws are enabling. So again, I mentioned rules, tennis, um, that sort of thing. Um, you know, when you have just random sounds going on uh, with no rhyme or reason, no coordination, that's called cacophony. You know, when they're coordinated and they're beautiful, music, that's called symphony. And then um, they enable, rules enable us to travel um, safely and effectively, more or less, right? And then I threw this on kind of at the last minute. Think about um, all these folks that dress in black and have masks and they're anarchists. 
and they say that they, they, they don't want laws, they don't want government, they don't want police, they don't want that sort of thing. Well, when you steal from something from them, what's the first thing that they want? They want justice, right? They, they, want, they want the police to come, the ones that they, they um, are trying to get rid of, they, they want them to, uh, to come and help them, right? So the idea of lawlessness is not desirable for anyone. That's called chaos, okay? Chaos is, human beings do not thrive in, in chaos, okay? Now let's turn this to God's laws. And when I say this, I don't mean necessarily specifically uh, the Mosaic law. I just mean God's commands, commandments, that sort of thing. So does anybody uh, want to answer the question, how does this relate to uh, God's laws and commands? Are they restrictive or are they enabling? Depends on if you know them or not, okay? Anybody else? Okay. When God told Adam, do not eat from the fruit in the tree in the center of the garden, what did he say right before that? May eat of any other tree, tree, right? He gave Adam a command. He gave Adam and Eve a command, but he, he, um, actually he gave them two commands. One, you can eat from any tree, except that one, okay? Um, So his, in that way, um, when we think about just the faith, um, take it at face value, what God was giving them was a, a, a enabling, a freeing command. But now let's dive down a little bit deeper. What was that tree that they weren't supposed to eat from? Knowledge of good and evil, okay? Is it, was it good for them to eat from the knowledge of good and evil? Was it, eat from the knowledge, of, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Was it good for them to, to know or decide for themselves what was good and evil? No. Because recur, curses or no curses, if mankind is determining for himself what is good, then that's never a good thing. Right? That's a horrible thing, because why? We destroy each other. Okay? Think about the Ten Commandments, and this one I think will make, will make a, a little bit more, more sense, right? Imagine a world, you know, I, I've been, um, I had somebody, I've had, actually had multiple people tell me that they feel like um, the God of the Bible is a, a, just a rule keeper, you know, like, you know, he should have more important things to do than, than who, I, who I sleep with, you know, that sort of thing, okay? But if you think about it, what if everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments? What if there was no murder? What if there was no adultery? What if there was no lying? What if there was no stealing? What if there was none of that, right? What if nobody did that? Would you, would you, what, and then what if all of a sudden somebody showed up and did something like that, right? They, they would come into a, a paradise, basically, you know? Um, actually, I have a, yeah, okay, so what would the world be like if everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments? 
what things, and I'll, I'll throw this out there to you, what things would you not need if everyone obeyed God's laws? There you go. Lawyers. <laughs> what else? Huh? We need police. We would need locks. Right? You, you would need doctors because, you know, there's still sin. Well, maybe, right? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. It's a, um, we wouldn't need Christ's sacrifice, but um, this is kind of a mind experiment, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, let's not, let's not go too far. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, we really wouldn't need government. Yeah. Because the purpose of government is supposed to be to, to kind of keep the general welfare and, the, and peace and that sort of thing. No military? Anything that keeps the law. Anything that keeps the law, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be absolutely amazing. I mean, think about that. You don't even have to, you wouldn't need a key for your car. I mean, if you wanted to drive somewhere, you, you hop in your car and you go and you pull up and you leave it there, you know? And if it's in somebody's way, guess what? They're going to get in, they're going to move it for you and maybe even go, well, go wash it for you and bring it back, you know? Okay? I mean, so... If you think about God's laws, now are they restrictive or are they enabling? They're clearly enabling because what they're doing is they are saying, this is the way you're supposed to operate. This is who you're supposed to be. This is what life was supposed to be like in the garden. This is what life was supposed to be like in the world. As human beings, we are created in the image of God. We reflect his glory. We reflect his glory when we honor him. Yes. All right. I bet it was good. It was so good. Yeah, it was so good. And then we get into what things would we not need if Adam had not had not sinned. And those two, I I get it, they're pretty closely related. Um, But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't need doctors, you wouldn't need, um, I mean, all sorts of things, right? So is that possible in today's world? Can we all of a sudden just convince somebody, you know, hey, everybody, let's, let's obey God's law? No, obviously not. And the reason being is because we're depraved, okay? Uh, so given Adam and Eve's freedom, that is, they could eat from, from any tree except that one, why do you think they wanted the fruit from that one, that particular tree? Anybody? I'm sorry? Because they couldn't, because they had sin in their hearts. Good. Yep. I I think you're right. I think you're right. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to be to make, desired to be to, uh, I'm sorry, to be desired to make one wise, at that point, she had already decided what? It was good for food. What did God say? No. Okay, this was what was already in, in their hearts, not just her heart, their heart. Yes, sir. Okay, great. So would it be fair to say that the law would only be restricted to those who want to break it? So I think so. The, the, the situation still here, too. Yeah. They want to break it. Yeah. But at that time, she didn't have a sinful nature. 
So what would give her the desire she, to want to break? She didn't have the curse, and I think the and Stephen, you can chime in here if you, or actually anybody can chime in here, not not just Stephen. Yeah. Um, um, but I think the idea is is that um, Adam and Eve had the ability to not sin, um, but they still chose to sin. They were. Um, you know, the curse came, came out of that. And the curse, I think, um, it impacted a lot more than, than just our hearts. And I, I'm even wondering how much it changed our hearts. Yeah, because yeah, I battle with, was God, is God a curious God? Right. Because he knows everything. So yeah. He necessarily isn't curious. Right. So where did, where did curiosity come from Yeah. when... The devil's told him not to eat this, or God's told him not to eat this, and then the devil's like, yeah. where did curiosity even come? Maybe I, curiosity is even a thing. I don't, I don't think it's curiosity. I think it's just outright rebellion. And where would that come from? That, that's, who, that's who they were. Yeah. They're a, autonomous. They're, yes, ma'am? The devil. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, well, the devil deceived and tempted Eve. But she, she was still responsible for, for that, um, for what she did. And, and Adam was responsible for what he did. So they had, I, I think it's going too far to say they had a sin nature, but there's just something about human beings that, that were, we want to be autonomous. We want to make our own rules, be our own gods. And that was the, the sin in the garden. And that's the, been this. That's been the, the root of every sin since then. Yes, ma'am. I've always thought in my yeah. reflecting that, that where it stems from is that always yeah. that deep down desire right. to be our own God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when it says, uh, you know, the, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they wanted to determine for themselves what was, what was right and wrong. And not, and, and not bow down to the one true God, their creator, but themselves. Yes? So we know scripture says that God is not the author of sin. Correct. We know scripture says that God cannot tempt anyone. Yes. Is our best answer for, like... Uh, Randy. Randy, question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is our best answer for where did it come from? You know, here we've got two perfect mm -hmm. people who had the ability to choose sin, well, where did that ability come from? Where did that sin nature right. originate? Is our best answer both and? Like, God does not create sin, but we were created with the ability to sin. Yes. <laughs> well, it, 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 what, what, I'll, what I'll say is um, when we get to that point, that level, we have to be, I think what you said was, was good, but we can't go any further, right? There, there's a certain amount of mystery that's always going to remain mystery, you know? And we will talk about um, sin next week, and of course, we've got to kick that off with uh, um, the, the original sin. And so I'll do a little more, I'll do a little more work on that to, to prep for anticipating that question. Yes? The way I've always kind of explained it to myself, uh -huh. I guess, yeah. is that we were created as not gods. Right. Right. So Adam and Eve were not gods. Yeah. So eventually, we're going to act as if we're not gods. Right. So that that 
was the moment or that was the time that we used was the first time that we yeah. acted as not God, which would have been sin, right? Because God yeah. is a mark, and then we missed the mark, and eventually that was going to happen because we're not God. Even though we were created, we're still not God, and so that eventually we fall into that. That was the way I would explain it to myself. Let's go with that. I... <laughs> <laughs> What I'll say is, when, once, once human beings understand that they're not God, that, that's called heaven. <laughs> All right. So, what I wanted to do here is, is there's this idea of uh, depravity and rebellion, really for the sake of rebellion, okay? And um, Augustine, the um, fourth century um, theologian, probably the most prominent uh, theologian since New Testament times, he writes of uh, a little story in his Confessions where he talks about, you know, hanging out with his, his friends and um, in the land next door that wasn't theirs, uh, there was a pear tree and he wanted to uh, go over and they wanted to go over and get some pears. And so he says, we carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs after barely tasting uh, some of them ourselves. During the, doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart, which thou didst pity even in that bottomless pit. Behold, let a, behold now, let me turn around. Behold now, let my heart confess to thee what it was seeking there when I was being gratuitously wanton, having no incentive to evil, but the evil itself. I... I I really don't like the whole King James English thing, but, um, but having no incentive to evil, but the evil itself. And I can kind of identify with this, only my story is way stupider. It's when I was um, eight, eighth grade-ish, uh, on, on, on our bus, we had a um, thing that we were, were talking about. They were, they were uh, called chromies. A chromie was a, a chrome, a valve stem cover that you screw on your valve stems on your tires, right? And for some reason, all of a sudden, uh, the kids on the bus were talking about chromies. And I, I don't know why, I don't know how it came about, but I had my cousin and uh, my best friend spend the night, uh, one, I guess, Friday night, and about, you know, one o'clock in the morning, we snuck out and went around the neighborhood stealing everybody's chromies, stealing everybody's valve stem covers, right? Um, and it's like, you know, for what purpose? We ended up just kind of throwing those things away. Why did we do that? We did that for the same reason that Augustine stole those pears. Because it was the wrong thing to do. You know, it was the wrong thing to do. And it's, like I said, it's a stupid little story, but I would be willing to bet that everybody in this room has probably done something like that. Where you just, you do something just because you're not supposed to. And going back to when I was talking to Randy, um, you, you said something about um, you, when we were talking about the, the, the law, what would it be like? Um, I remember at IHOP, I was talking to a, a group of guys, and I basically made the same claim that I made, you know, or the, asked the same question that I asked just a few minutes ago, what would the world be like if everybody followed the Ten Commandments? And I remember the, the, the waiter was there, and he's like, oh, man, 
Sin is what, the, what makes the world go around. It's what makes it interesting. This place would be boring without sin. I'm like, man, you, <laughs> we need to have a conversation. And we tried. It, it didn't, didn't work out very well. But hopefully, what, what did I say earlier, we'll put a rock in the shoe. Hopefully. So conclusion for this part is, in the end, things are not as they are supposed to be. Okay, we are, you know, if we loved God with every fiber of our being, like Jesus told us we're supposed to, then, you know, the Ten, ten Commandments w- would, would come naturally. We wouldn't even think about stealing or committing adultery or murdering or anything like that. We wouldn't grow angry because, you know, we would be looking, we would be loving our neighbor as ourself and putting, basically putting ourselves in their shoes and giving them always the benefit of a doubt. That's what the world would look like, and it would be an amazing thing. We would be glorifying Christ in everything that we did. So you and I are supposed to love God with every fiber of our being and love one another as ourselves. That's what we were designed to do, and that's what the... That, um, that's the only way that human beings can flourish. There was a great theologian, his name is Roger Nicole. Um, he died in 2010, he was Swiss. I love listening to the guy talk, he had this really thick accent. Um, made him sound really smart. And so uh, he talks about, um, a, tells the story of a train engine, like a parable of a train engine. So suppose you have a, a train engine, you know, a, a train runs on rails, right? So what it's designed to do is run on rails. And uh, let's say the, the train engine is uh, all of a sudden a sentient being, and maybe it's Thomas the train engine or something, right? And it wants to, to get off the rails, and it wants to go see uh, meadows and beaches and mountains and all this other stuff. And so, I don't know, somehow, some way, it winds up off the rails. It, takes, you know, it gets lifted up and put, I don't know, in the middle of a meadow somewhere. And so he's all excited. He wants to... Um, you know, I'm going to go, you know, go check out the beach. Maybe I'll go check out an Astros game or something, you know? And he starts to go, and all he does is spin. He can't go anywhere. And he caught you know, and he's like, okay, I'll try harder. And so his, spin, his wheels spin faster, and smoke, you know, begins to billow up. And all he does is trench himself in down into the mud, Okay. He can't go anywhere. The reason he can't go anywhere, the reason he can't operate, is because he was designed to run on rails. Without those rails that he thinks of as restricting, he can't do anything, and he's no good at all. That's the way we are. We are designed to glorify God, and we glorify God in not sinning and glorifying him and making him known and living our lives in ways that are, are glorifying to him. So like the train engine, not on the rails, when we sin, um, we wind up in the mud, you know, just blowing a lot of smoke. And, and we, look at, we look at the law the way that the train engine looks at the, looks at the rails. But since we are ultimately selfish and rebellious to our core, we don't do that. Instead, we insist on making our own rules and living our own desires to what should be our own demise, if not for grace. Okay. Big word alert, all right? Actually, they're not that big. It's only four syllables, right? But um, they're very unusual. We have apodictic and casuistic. Now, I don't care if anybody remembers these words. That's not the point. 
anytime I introduce a word in here, the point is not the word, it's the concept, okay? And so to kind of illustrate um, the difference between these two, which I'll explain in just a minute, what's the difference between these two commands, okay? First, we'll look at Exodus 21. It says, when a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to his owner, to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Okay? That's from, again, that's from Exodus 21, 33 through 34. That's one. The other one is, you shall not murder. So what's the difference, the first difference you see between those two, two laws? What's that? One's contingent. There's an if, right? There's an if statement, okay? So the top law, it says, under these circumstances, in this particular, on this, this particular type of occasion, um, under this criteria, then this is what you do. The second law is saying, do this, and it doesn't matter when it is, where it is, or anything, okay? So an apodictic law, and again, I don't care if you, don't worry, don't even write it, write it down. Don't worry about the word. I'm just throwing it out there because that's, that's what it is. Apodictic laws are applicable at all times and on all occasions. There are no qualifications, okay? They're universal moral um, commands, Casuistic laws are case laws. In this case, do this. In that case, do that. They apply in a limited circumstance. And as it turns out, this is important because most of the Old Testament laws are casuistic. Most of them are case laws. Now, this is going somewhere, so bear with me. So what ethical principle do we learn from the situation with the ox falling in the pit? Does it have any bearing on our lives whatsoever? What do you think? I give you, I'm going to drink my coffee. I'll give you a minute to think about it. What do you think? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Good, good. Okay, good. So there's a principle of restitution. Okay, good. Anybody else? Okay, so let's think about this law for a minute, and let's, let's like get ridiculously restrictive, okay? So say a woman opens a pit. Does this law apply? What do you think? If God is your judge, and God is your jury, and you know, you're going to some place, you have a lawsuit against somebody, and the man didn't dig the pit, the woman dug the pit, and you're going up, and God is going to be judging between, um, between the two of you, do you think he's going to look at this and say, nope, I meant a man. If a woman does it, it's okay. What do you think? No? What's that? Yeah, it counts for the they, them, too. Okay, okay. All right. So he, he digs a pit and, and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in. Well, what if uh, a sheep falls in? What do you think? What if their dog falls in? What if Randy falls in? Right? <laughs> what do you think? Is it 
Does it cover that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it does. I, I don't think we need to be ridiculously, except for Randy, I don't think we need to be ridiculously um, restrictive on that, okay? <laughs> yeah. But there is, and we talked about restitution, but there is an important clause in here where it says a man digs a pit and does not cover it. Okay? Well, what, what if he covered it with, uh, I'll be ridiculous, saran wrap, right? And the, the, the ox full falls in. Well, he covered it. You think the, the guy's still not liable? No, I think that would be ridiculous, right? I think the idea here uh, is <clears throat> you don't have to cover it per se, but you need to put a fence around it. You need to take some kind of action to keep people, people or property from getting hurt. And when you look at this, this law, that's what it's saying. It's, it's teaching us, one, it's teaching us the principle of, of um, so what's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing the word, accountability, right? Personal accountability. If you do something that um, is I'm losing, negligible, there you go, um, if you're negligent in your duties to, to properly safeguard against people, then you're responsible, okay? That's a principle that we get out of this. And so you can see where you can apply that to the modern day, right? Now, let's say um, I, I do something, um, maybe I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to think of a scenario where, where you know, I do something that is clearly negligent. Maybe it's, uh, I don't put, you know, proper support on a, on a room, and then when you guys go and you, you walk, walk on it, and it collapses, okay? Well, we shouldn't even need to go to a jury. We shouldn't even need to, to deal with lawsuits. I should just take care of it, right? Because that would be reflecting God's character, right? Regardless of the, like the law of the land or anything like that, what God is doing here is he's teaching personal accountability and he's teaching the principle of restitution. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it doesn't say kill. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then what Jesus does is, you know, since Randy brought up Jesus, um, you know, with the murder, he, uh, Jesus said, well, if you, if you're angry with somebody, then you're, you've murdered them in your heart. Right. So I think this is an important principle here where when we look at, God's law revealing God's character. And you can go throughout the, the Old Testament and you can see these laws and you may look at them and you may go, you know, that's ridiculous. This isn't an agrarian. Well, it's not ridiculous. You may look at it and say, this is not a, a farming society anymore. And so those laws don't apply, but absolutely those laws apply. These are universal laws. Again, restitution and personal accountability. All right. Any questions on that? Thoughts? Okay. And that's why I taught the, you know, I mentioned the difference between casuistic or case laws and the um, apodictic or, or like universal 
more or less eternal laws um, because there's an important, important distinction there. And the Pharisees were very good at taking these case laws and pitting, finding loopholes and stuff. That's what the, the Pharisees were really good at. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Absolutely. The more they base it on the causistic, yeah. People aren't, don't hold people accountable. Right. Yeah. Got. Uh, uh, yes, sir. Yep. Right. Yep. Yes. Well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say that you you and I are are neighbors, right? Um, there's the idea, remember a few weeks ago we talked about love, there is the, there is an emotional component, but the biggest idea is, is kind of what you do. You're, there is an attitude, you know, toward uh, wanting the overall good of your, of your neighbor. And so, uh, but there's a, a huge component of action. And so if you and I are neighbors and I do something, and let's say Luther hurts himself, okay, needs to go to the vet, and it's, you know, $5,000 vet bill. Well, I need to look at it, and if I didn't take precautions, let's say you weren't negligent at all, right? But if I didn't take precautions, then, you know, it's only right, I, I think, with this, that, that I make restitution for that, right? That I take care of that. And if I do that, then I'm, I, I'm putting myself... Um, I'm caring for your well-being, and I'm taking responsibility for, for my, own, my own actions. And then there very well could be a situation where I don't have any money, and you're, you're wealthy, and you say, you know what, it's okay. You, you could be loving me back in, in, a, in a slightly different way, right? Now, I'm, I mean, getting way ahead of myself there, but, but yeah. yeah. Yes, sir? Again, dovetailing with that, the, the love aspect is something you learn from behaving justly. Yeah. So yeah, it's a judicial thing, but it's a ju- judicial... The, the way that love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God sums up the whole of the law and the prophets is in that this is how you love. This is how yeah. you learn how to love uh, is by doing doing things like Absolutely, that. yeah. Good. My question, yes, sir. though, is very... Uh, I think I got the, the, the sense you were saying all yeah. of these laws... All of these laws are eternal in the sense that there's always a principle, so to speak. That yeah. So so yeah. So uh, so let me phrase just slightly. So God's laws that He gave to Israel reveal His character, right? So there's principles in there that reveal His character. His character never changes. And so you know these laws. There's going to be you know the moral laws. There's going to be something in there that that points to Him. Well, that, that, I guess you, you just set up a distinction. Yeah. What, what's, what do you do with the laws, the, the hard ones, so to right. speak, that people yeah. will cite to trip people up? And right. Wearing two different threads and... 
Okay. Uh, it's interesting that, things, yeah. We're going, I don't really see the principle. This yeah. one's easy to see the principle, right? Yeah. What about the ones that are? You, you act, well, so first of all, um, Stephen, uh, you know, point, pointed to one, one particular law, and it's not going to be stump the teacher, okay? But, uh, but um, that particular one has always had a, a kind of a warm place in my heart. It's Leviticus 19.19, 19, okay? Um, a lot of people call it the holiness code. And at the beginning, at the top of the chapter, uh, God says, I'm holy. You, you, be, you be holy for I am holy, right? Um, and when you get to 1919, he says, uh, do not plant uh, crops. Uh, was it two, two kinds of crops in the same field? And um, there, there was three things. I think it was breed animals of different cows or something. But then the third one was don't wear blended polyester, okay? Don't wear, um, don't wear clothes made out of two different fab- fabrics. And I remember years ago, that, that law, that little thing there, don't wear material, or I'm sorry, don't wear clothes made out of two different fabrics, that always drove me crazy because I'm like, you know, hey, I wear blended polyester or whatever, um, does God not like that particular material, those materials? Does he, is there something that he doesn't like? Because even if I can, if I think God doesn't like it or want it, then I'm not going to do it, right? So I had to, I drilled down on that a little bit. And what I realized, um, I didn't just come to mind, I read commentaries and stuff, but the idea there is there were nations surrounding them. The Gentiles were surrounding um, Israel, and um, God was saying, you're going to be holy, for I am holy. And by not mixing things like fabrics and crops and things of that nature, he was showing the principle of being holy, of being set apart, of not mixing religions, right? Of being purely uh, worshiping him and him alone, right? So what really that command is saying is that it's like an object lesson for the Israelites, saying, you be holy, you be set apart, you don't mix yourself with the other nations. You know, it's not so much blood as it is religion. Don't worship the pagan gods. And that is something that is absolutely applicable to today. Today, we are in the world, we're not of the world and we are still to be holy. You know, we are still to be set apart. And so when it talks about, and again in the same chapter, it, it talks about, you know, don't trim your beard or shave your head or do all these, these other things. You know, Caleb is not sinning because he shaved his head because that's not a part, that's not a, we don't have a pagan um, culture around us that shaves their head in observance of the, 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 the deaths of, uh, of their ancestors, right? And that was a practice that those, those pagans had. And so God was saying, don't be like the pagans. You're going to be different. That's why they, you know, there's nothing wrong with a pig. That's why he said, don't eat pig. Don't, you know, don't eat shrimp. Don't eat bottom dwellers, that sort of thing. He wanted them to be set apart and you could visually see that, visibly see that through the dietary laws and a lot of the things that they did that were like these visual rip- rituals and stuff. Does that make sense?
So these things were as much instructive as anything else. Make sense? Israel is a nation, but there's a principle behind them that says be holy, and that would apply to us as well. Yes, ma'am. Too late. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see those? How should you see those things? Yeah. Yeah. I think those things are. Um, uh, those are roughly in that in that same chapter, and again, those were. Um, yeah, head coverings. Um, we'll, we'll deal with that in the the ecclesiology portion. Um, it's my way of. I'm not teaching ecclesiology, so. Uh, but the uh, um, piercings, tattoos, things like that. That was the again that plays into the Leviticus 19. Okay, all right. Yeah. 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 identifying right. with this pagan biker culture right, right, right yeah, now yeah. it's just more socially so it, it changed just in 30 years right from really probably not something as a christian you should have done yeah to man yeah nobody really gonna look at you different yeah. now so yeah have fun. yeah um yeah <laughs> all right i i think we can do this in five minutes um uh, so, three uses of the law. Now, you may have heard of the, the three divisions of the law. Three divisions of the law would be the civil, the ritual, and the moral. Okay? Three divisions of the law would be, um, there were laws that, that dealt with uh, running Israel as a, as a nation. There were um, ritual laws, like the Levitical laws and, and things of that nature, which, you know, a priest will do this and, you know, sprinkle blood in this place. And then there were moral laws, which, you know, the Ten Commandments and, and that sort of thing, okay? That's not what we're talking about, okay? Uh, what we're talking about is the three uses of the law. And primarily it's the moral law. How do we use the, the moral law, Okay. So the first idea, the first way we use the law, and actually if you were here on Wednesday night, I think about two weeks ago or so, Ken, Ken actually um, taught on this as well. Um, so the first way is, I use different analogies, um, but you know, it's the, the same principle. So the first way is a mirror. When, you, when you, look, you, know, you look in a mirror, you kind of see yourself. And when you look at the law, you see your sin, you know? Um, you, know, you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, essentially, you know, don't be angry with your brother. And when you read that, it's hard not to be, well, yeah, I think if you have the Spirit, it's, it's impossible to not be convicted. Okay? And so, so that's the first use of the law, and I think that's the, the use of the law that we tend to think of when we think of the law, is the law points us to our sin. It, it shows it to us. Okay? The second is as a restrainer. And so um, even for people who are not um, Christian, there, there's the idea that these law, a law, you know, the laws of the land can actually you know, restrain evil per se, right? So for example, 
And, and the way God's law is used in that case is it's the model for, for certain civil laws. So you look at the Texas Penal Code. The Texas Penal Code says, you know, gives you um, punishments for murdering somebody. Okay, um, that can be traced back to essentially the commandment in the Old Testament to do not murder. Okay, so you can look at the law and, and civil laws um, in in mostly democratic, but maybe even non-democratic societies can be traced back to and pointing to um, the Old Testament law. And then a model. Um, the Old Testament law, can, or the, the God's laws can be used as guidance for believers as they seek to live in humble gratitude for the grace God has shown us. Okay? So the idea there is, uh, you know, our first church, Jan and I, our first church was, um, you know, was a Southern Baptist church. And what happens in the Southern Baptist church is the primary thing you're supposed to do is you got to invite people to church, get their butts in the seats, and then the, the, the pastor's going to save them. He's going to give them the gospel and, and save them. And then uh, once he saves them, well, we got to get them baptized so we can record that number. And I know I'm being unfair, but that's okay. Um, uh, they're going to record that number as a baptism for, for that year to up their statistics. Then they're going to throw you on the rolls, which there's no possible way, you know, outside of a divine act itself to, to get off of that role. And then... Um, they're going to uh, say, okay, you're here, start tithing, it's time, you know, you're here, now bring, you bring somebody to church, right? There's very little discipleship. There's very little uh, helping people live out and, and instruct people in living out the godly life. And that's one of the things we, we really try to do here at Trinity is to... to, to, to to walk alongside people. We all walk alongside each other, but the primary tool for that is the Bible. And the Bible, the, the Old Testament law, God's laws can be used um, as a guide for how we're supposed to live our lives and um, how we're supposed to live our lives and honor God. Okay, So... Quick note, the idea of uh, Torah, the word Torah, can also connote instruction. We, direct, we, gen, we tend to, you know, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we tend to translate that strictly as law, but in reality, it can, it can also, it's like a law and instruction. So, um, and note that the Mosaic law was given after Israel had been redeemed from Egypt. So the idea there is that God redeemed that nation and then he gave them the law to tell them how to live. Okay? So that, bear with me five more minutes, okay? It's funny, when I get in a hurry, I end up going slower because I lose my train of thought. Um, so what do people wrongly take to be a legitimate use of the law? Justification. What's that? Well, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, they use it to judge others, prop themselves up to push other people down. I shouldn't say they, I should say we. We use the law to prop ourselves up and push other people down. But what I was looking for is justification, right? Because there's, there's people that have believed that the Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the law. 
And no, that's, that's impossible. Um, Galatians 3 says, Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And then a little earlier it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So if you could achieve, achieve your own salvation, your own justification through keeping the law, then Christ didn't need to die. Right? So how are they believed? It's already on the screen, right? They believe God, and God counted, counted it to them as righteousness. Everybody's always been saved in the same, same way. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. All right. So I think this, I think we're wrapping up here. Where does the first use of the law, that's the mirror that demonstrates, um, that shows us our sin, where does that point us? Points us to grace. Another, I'm looking for another G word. The gospel, okay? The, gospel, the first use of the law, when, when the law, everybody, I talk to a lot of people you know, that ask about the relationship between the law and the gospel, okay? The law drives you to the gospel. But once you're saved and you want to know, how do I live my life? What decisions do I make? You know, so that I can glorify God. Not that I can score points, but because I, I, I want to live a life that in thanksgiving to him, where, where, do, where do you go? You go back to the law, and it's the third use of the law. Once we are justified and we desire to live our lives in a God-honoring way, where do we go for instruction? Um, the, the law. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Anyway, I think you get the point, right? We, it's the third use of the law. So the way I think of it is the gospel points us to the, I'm sorry, the law points us to the gospel, and then once we're saved, the gospel points us back to the law to live our lives. Make sense? Okay. Wrap up. The law makes us aware of our sin in conjunction with the Spirit, drives us to the gospel. Once we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and seek to humbly live our lives in a God-honoring way, we may refer to the law to understand what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And no one has ever been justified by works of the law, ever. That's it. Any questions? Nope. Cool. All right. Um, David, do you mind closing us? Lord, Father, thank you for the opportunity to get together and learn more about your word. We ask that you bless this church and your body in it. Uh, Ask that um, bless those who can't be with us today. We pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Sure.